0: Well, let me just kind of recap. Uh, Dave opened us on Friday evening from Psalm 73 and just showed us that Christ must be our greatest desire because he is our portion forever and that only Christ can truly satisfy. And we only have that relationship because God chose to begin it. It was his choice, as Dave showed us really so well yesterday from Ephesians 1 and then last night I talked about those things that can hinder us from growing in our relationship with Christ. Those distractions that we all face each and every day and Dave asked me to close our time together to speak about this, what a devoted relationship with Christ looks like. And he's asked me to get very very practical. So this is going to be a practical message in that regard. If Jesus truly satisfies, then a devoted relationship to Jesus Christ is is marked by one who continually beholds and treasures Jesus. That's what a devoted life looks like. As devoted disciples of Christ, we need to gaze often upon Christ, upon the glories of Christ, in a way that we are satisfied in our souls, in a way that compels our worship and stirs our affections and increases our delight, so that Jesus alone, He's our supreme treasure. That's what a devoted relationship looks like. See, when when we treasure Jesus, a devoted relationship is never duty, but it's always delight. It's always delight. If you want a title, it's, it's this, The Devoted Treasure Jesus the devoted, treasured Jesus. We're going to read 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, through chapter 4, verse 6. But we're really going to focus in on chapter 3, verse 18. But I want to read these verses to give you context of that verse in particular. So, Chapter 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves, as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to pray and ask for the Spirit to fill us again. I pray that you push out distractions from what awaits us in this coming week. Distractions from what awaits us even when we return home today. And that we would just for these next few minutes just be with you. Just be with Jesus. And may the Spirit work in such a way that we together gaze And behold and treasure Jesus. Help us to do that now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. For over 33 years, for over 30 years, 66-year-old Larry Hester lived in darkness. His sight was stolen by a disease that destroyed the photoreceptor cells in both of his retinas in his mid-30s. But on October 1st of 2014, through the help of a bionic eye, Hester got a glimpse of the world around him. As the lights dimmed in the exam room, Larry fixed his gaze forward and waited nervously. Paul Hahn, a retinal surgeon at the Duke Eye Center in Durham, North Carolina, counted backwards from three and pressed a button, activating Hester's newly implanted by bionic eye and when he hit that button larry said this yes hester said with a smile on his face seeing a light for the first time since he became blind over 30 years ago oh my goodness yes during a follow-up visit hester described seeing sights that he long believed were past memories a white duck swimming in a pond the harvest moon his wife's blue eyes. Larry said this, I know that light is so basic, but for one who has lived in darkness, it's truly incredible. Now I tell you that story because these verses that we just read, they're filled with imagery of blindness and sight, of darkness and light. We are told in these verses it is God who is Shown out of the darkness into our hearts light so that we can see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Chapter four, verse six, so that we can have sight in that regard. And it is the God of this world that has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Jesus Christ. Chapter four, verse four. And note how this imagery of blindness and sight, of darkness and light, is actually laid into redemptive history to compare and contrast the Old and the New Covenants. Moses is introduced to us, as you see in chapter 3, as one of the Old Covenant who had the privilege of getting a glimpse of God's glory when on Mount Sinai, Moses, God, passed before Moses in Exodus chapter 3. 34 Verse 6 So that when he came down from the mountain, he had to put a veil over his face because it shone with the glory of God. Exodus chapter 34, verse 33. But redemptive history changed when God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, into this dark world as the light of the world. And when Jesus went to Calvary, When He died on the cross by making atonement for our sins. Matthew tells us in that moment that the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Matthew chapter 27 verse 51. The the curtain, the veil that separated the people of God from God is removed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So unlike the old covenant where only Moses could see the glory of God, now in the new covenant brought by Jesus Christ, everyone who turns to Christ, chapter 3, verse 16, can see and draw near and can gaze upon the glory of Christ. Brothers and sisters, the reason we have such a hope The reason we can be very bold, as it says in verse 12, is because Jesus has removed the veil through His death on the cross. And like Larry Hester, who got a glimpse of light for the first time in 33 years and says, incredible, how much more should we, who have had our spiritual blindness definitively and forever dealt with in the person and work of Christ, say, incredible as well. As we behold the glory of Christ. And not only do we have hope. Not only do we have boldness. Note in verse 17 it says that we also have freedom. Verse 17 tells us that we have freedom in the Spirit. To draw near to God and to gaze upon His glory. This mentioning of the Spirit it reminds us of the work of the Spirit. Even in our own salvation. The Spirit regenerates our hearts john chapter 3 verse 6 the spirit convicts us of sin john chapter 16 verse 9 and shows us our need for a savior it's god's work in us through the spirit that shows us that we need christ and it leads to our salvation these verses they reveal to us how the trinitarian god is at work saving believers saving excuse me saving sinners through the gospel And that alone should cause us to rejoice. That alone should cause us to say, like Larry Hester, that's incredible, that the Trinitarian God of the universe was involved in my personal salvation. Now this mentioning of the Spirit here in chapter 3, verse 17, is also there to remind us of the Trinitarian work of God after salvation, where one of the works of the Spirit is to continue to point us to Christ. One of the works of the Spirit is to continue to shine a light upon Christ, where we can see and behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. John Piper says it this way, The all-glorious Christ is both the means and the goal of our salvation from blindness. His life, death, and resurrection and present reign in heaven are both the means by which sinners regain our sight and the highest glory we are saved to see. Did you hear that? His life, death, and resurrection, and present reign in heaven are both the means by which sinners regain our sight and is the highest glory we are saved to see. Verse 18 is filled with this imperative. This thing that we're to do. To behold the glory of Christ. But we've got to remember it's rooted in gospel indicative. It's rooted in gospel truth because of Christ and what He's done on the cross, the veil has been torn. The veil has been removed. The only way that we can do verse 18 each and every day is because of what Christ has already done for us in the Gospel. And so you and I, we can draw near in boldness. We can draw near in hope. We can draw near in freedom. And we can gaze. And we can behold jesus christ at one time we were blind we were blind but now like larry hester we can see and we can savor we can gaze and we can behold and we can treasure jesus because of what jesus has done for us in the gospel now this word behold here in verse 18 we gotta understand what it means verse Behold means it means to see, it means to gaze upon. The Bible tells us just repetitively over and over again there are two kinds of seeing. There is physical seeing, God made us with eyes so that we could see. There's even a reference to that in chapter 4, verse 6, where it says, For God said, Let light shine out of darkness. That's Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. We're out of darkness. God creates light, and then He creates us with physical eyes so we can see the light. He's talking about physical sight partly there, but the Bible repeatedly talks about the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our inner being, The not just physical sight, it's the spiritual sight with which we can see the glory of Christ over and over again. We have the eyes of our head and we have the eyes of our heart. And like we must tend to the eyes of our, of our head, those that we have to go and get an eye check up for, we need to tend to our spiritual eyes. We need to tend to our souls so that we can continue to behold and treasure Jesus. So the question I want to answer today is this. How do the, devote, how do the devoted treasure Jesus? How does the devoted person to Christ treasure Christ? Now I'm going to give you a list of things to consider. These are the very practical things that I mentioned. And I think that as you hear my list, there isn't anything surprising on the list at all. In fact, as, as you listen to this list, I think you'll say, well, that's, that's rather obvious. Before I was a, a pastor, I worked for a pharmaceutical company for 14 years. I worked for a company called Wyeth, they're now owned by Pfizer. And later in my career, I was based in their headquarters. And one of the things that, uh, that sort of amazed me or surprised me is that we would get in a little bit of trouble as a company, and so we hired these consultants and paid them thousands of dollars to come in and review what was wrong and tell us what we needed to do. And I can remember sitting in those meetings where those consultants are putting up on a whiteboard their analysis and what we needed to do. And as they put those things on this whiteboard, time and time again, it was, it was things that were obvious. So why were we paying them thousands of dollars to tell us what we obviously needed to do? Because we were neglecting the obvious. That's why. And so as I go through my list, consider if there are any ways in your life that you're neglecting the obvious. And I'll charge you my consultant fee later. How's that if I do that? Okay, six ways to behold and treasure. Six ways to behold and treasure. Number one, pray to behold and treasure pray to behold and treasure because god has lifted the veil from our hearts and do you see by the way election there Do you see what dave taught on yesterday morning in ephesians 1 it's god who lifts the veil it's not us that's election that's his choice those that are still blinded there in chapter 4 verse 3 why because god hasn't chosen them which is which is still a mystery and hard to understand but it's true Elections in these verses. But because God has lifted the veil from our hearts, you and I can approach God with, with boldness and with hope and with freedom. Because there's nothing that separates us from God now. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And we can draw near and we can pray. But let's be honest with one another. There are times when the eyes of our heart, they just grow dim. There are times when our love for Christ it grows cold. There are times when our passion and spiritual hunger for Jesus just becomes very weak. I know because I experienced that. Just a few weeks ago, again, up early in the morning, doing my devotion, sitting at my desk. And I think I had late meetings the night before, so I was somewhat physically tired. So I get out my journal, I get out my Bible... I left the iPad to the side this time and uh, began to write in my journal. I just began to read God's word. And here's what's happening. I'm reading God's word and it's like it's hitting my head and bouncing back down the page. Like nothing is being absorbed. It's not affecting me. It's, I'm just barely in understanding when I'm reading and I, I just keep trying to read and finally I, I just in frustration push back from my desk. I said, Lord, I'm just going through the motions. I need your help. Would you fill me with your spirit right now? Would you give me power so that when I read this word, it would affect me, it would change me, it would convict me, it would stir my affections for you? And I just began to read again and the spirit came and the spirit helped me in that moment. See, don't waste your spiritual tepidness, don't waste it. Don't waste those times when you just feel like you're going through the motion. Stop in that moment and turn those moments into desperate prayers to God to say, God, give me power so I can see your glory. Do you know that Jesus actually prayed for you, prayed for you personally that way before his death? Stunning. We see that in John chapter 17, verse 20 and verse 24. Now this is... In the farewell discourse. And this is known as the high priestly prayer. Just hours before his death. And listen to what Jesus prays. I do not ask for these only. So he's praying for the, the disciples who are physically with him. But also for those who will believe in me. That's you. That's me. That's us. Listen to what he prays for us. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. May be with me where I am. Or where I am to do what? Here's what he prays for us. To see my glory. Jesus prayed even before we were born that we would be not only saved, but that we would see His glory. It seems like if Jesus prays for us that way, it's probably a good idea that we pray for ourselves that way too, isn't it? See, when the the eyes of, of your heart are dim, when you are spiritually just cold, Cry out to God in that moment and pray what Jesus prayed. Pray, Lord, help me to see your glory. See, God is eager to answer your prayers in that moment because you've got to remember God wants you to see his glory. He wants you to see it. And so he'll answer those prayers. Okay, second, second way we can beholden treasure. Number two, read scripture to beholden treasure. Read scripture to beholden treasure. These verses tell us that when the people of the Old Covenant read Scripture, their their minds remained hardened. They didn't understand it at all. Understand how it revealed Christ to them. But because of Christ in the New Covenant, we can read Scripture with an unveiled, really an unveiled view, and we can see Christ in Scripture. That's important because the primary way that God reveals Himself to us is through His Word. And so it it tells us that, that our Bible is filled with the glories of Christ. The glories of Christ are here and we are to mind them by reading scripture and as we mind the glories of Christ it helps us to treasure Christ more. Let me say it another way. Our Bibles are filled with treasures that help us treasure Christ more. That's what our Bibles are are filled with. And so as a believer as a disciple of Christ you've got to have a a stable of passages. You've got to have a collection of verses that you know that you can read and they will stir your affections for Christ. You've got to have those. You've got to know where to go in your Bibles to do that. And so I want to share with you one of those passages that, that I go to often when my heart is spiritually cold. Here's one of mine Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, speaks about the preeminence of Christ. He is the image, meaning Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him. And they were created for Him. And He, Christ, He's before all things. And in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, in everything, Christ, in Christ alone, He may be preeminent. For in Him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him, To reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. See, when my eyes are growing dim, when my affections for Christ are waning, I go to this passage and several others, and I read it slowly, and I read it repetitively, and it stirs my affections for Christ. Because in these few verses alone, there are treasures that reveal the glories of Christ. So here's my question to you. Do you have a collection of passages? Do you have a stable of passages? Let me just say it this way. Do you have your go-to verses? To go to and know what to read when when you are spiritually cold and you're not treasuring Jesus? Jesus third thing we do to behold and treasure number three meditate to behold and treasure meditate to behold and treasure we are we are called not simply to read god's word we are called to meditate on god's word. david says exactly that in psalm 145 verse 5 where david writes on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works i will what i will meditate Now David, you know, he was known to be a man who had a heart for God, right? And one of the reasons David had a heart for God is because he regularly, he did this, he meditated on the glorious splendor of the majesty of God. That's why he had a heart for God. Now the word meditate in Hebrew, it basically means to speak, it means to to mutter it means to muse it means to mull over it means to ask questions about it and to ponder its implications for your life it means to ponder the implications for sovereign grace church of sydney so what i want to do is i want to meditate on one of the verses i just read colossians chapter one verse 17 it's actually only half a verse and we're going to meditate on it together all right and he is before all things and in Him, in Christ, all things hold together. What does it mean? What does it mean for you that Christ is before all things? What does that mean for you? What does it mean for you that in Christ all things are held together? And if Christ does hold all things together, what are the implications for your life? And what are the implications for your church? See This verse says, This verse alone is comforting when you are going through difficulty and trial. That was mentioned last night. One going through trial. Several of you may be going through difficulties and trials right now. This verse is something that you need to meditate on. Because when it seems that your life is falling apart, Christ holds all things together in that moment. He's got you. And He's got your situation. And in that moment, in your deepest and darkest trial, you can actually treasure Christ. Why? Because He holds all things together. Astounding truth. My point is this. A half a verse. Meditating on half a verse, brothers and sisters. It causes you to behold and to treasure Christ. See, the devoted meditate so they can treasure jesus okay fourth thing that we do to behold and treasure read good books to behold and treasure read good books to behold and treasure obviously want to primarily read scripture but supplement scripture with reading good books so to treasure christ more you've got to be committed to be reading good books those that are rich with truth and they they contain sound doctrine we have to be willing to read tough books Books that will make us think in ways that we've never thought before to think hard about Christ and to sharpen the eyes of our heart. C.S. Lewis says it this way, I tend to find the doctrinal books are often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books. And I rather suspect the same experience may await many others. I believe that many who find that nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion would find that the heart sings unbidden while they are working their way through a tough bit of theology with a pipe in their teeth and a pencil in their hand. So, get a pipe in your teeth, get a pencil in your hand, and work through a tough bit of theology. And your heart will sing unbidden to Christ. A couple years ago, I spent several months reading through the letters of Samuel Rutherford devotionally I I just I was a part of my devotions and I can't wait to meet Samuel Rutherford in heaven because this man at least for me has helped me to treasure Christ more he really has Rutherford uh, Samuel Rutherford was a pastor who lived from 1600 to 1661 he was a pastor in Scotland he had a church in Ackworth and because he was a nonconformist, he spent several years and years of his ministry in prison in Aberdeen because he would not stop preaching the gospel. I like that. While in prison in Aberdeen, he wrote letters back home to his church in Ackworth. He wrote letters to people and fellow pastors. There's a letter that he wrote to a mother who had just lost a young child to disease. And there's a, an astounding letter that still affects me. He writes to a pastor in London who's in the Tower of London And about to be martyred because he won't stop preaching the gospel. And Rutherford is helping him treasure Christ before he dies. And he goes and he sees Christ. I'm going to read a section of a letter to you that Rutherford wrote from prison in Aberdeen to James Guthrie. James Guthrie was an elder back home in his church at Ackworth. And Mr. Guthrie was just going through a real difficult time. And so what... Rutherford was trying to do in pastoring from afar was to hold before him the glory and the beauty of Christ so that he could make it through this trial. And this is a part of what the letter said. Come in. Come into Christ and see what you want and find it in Him. He is the shortcut, as we used to say, and the the nearest way of escape of all your burdens, I dare avouch that you shall be dearly welcome to Him. My soul would be glad to take part of the joy you should have in Him. I dare say that angels' pens and angels' tongues know as many as many worlds of angels as there are do- drops of water in all the seas and fountains and rivers of the earth. They not cannot paint them out to you. The beauty of Christ is incomprehensible. I think His sweetness, since I was a prisoner, has swelled up to me to the greatest of two heavens. Oh, for a soul as wide as the utmost circle of the highest heaven that containeth all to contain His love. See, for me, when I read Rutherford, I just, I just sit back and I, I behold and I treasure the beauty of Christ. My point is this, you've got to have your Rutherfords. Now, it's going to be different for different people. When I read Rutherford to Jill, she says, what in the world is that man saying? That's what she says to me. And so it doesn't stir her affections for Christ. She's like, that's confusing. So what you read that stirs your affections for Christ is going to vary from person to person. The point is this, as you read those tough books, pay attention to what stirs your heart. Pay attention to what stirs your heart for Christ. It's one thing for me. It's different for Joe. Let me just give you some books to consider. Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper. The Glory of Christ by John Owen. A classic that can be read over and over again. The Loveliness of Christ by Samuel Rutherford. A very small book where they just take excerpts of his letter and they just stick them in there and you can just read it and your soul can sing unbidden. So what are the books? What are the authors that stir? your love for christ fifth thing that you can do to behold and treasure number five fellowship to behold and treasure fellowship to behold and treasure you see we have to keep in mind that this letter was written to a church and at that time historically when this letter arrived in corinth the entire church would have been gathered just like sovereign grace church sydney is gathered this morning and this letter would have been read out loud to them from beginning to end and so together they would have heard, and we, we Corinthian Church, and we, we Sovereign Grace Church of Sydney, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into one, into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The point is this the, the treasuring of Christ. Is not just an individual thing. The treasuring of Christ is a community thing as well. It's something that we need to fellowship over because we share Christ. We have to help one another to behold and to treasure Christ. It's kind of what I think the author of Hebrews was getting at a little bit in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, why do we need to do that? Why? For, because, for, we share Christ. Why do we need to do that every day? Because we share Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Brothers and sisters, you as a church, you share Christ's. And you have to help one another behold and treasure Christ. So we've got to make sure that we don't have our definition of fellowship defined too narrowly. Make it sufficiently broad. Fellowship is a broad definition. It includes praying for one another. It includes confessing sin to one another. It includes accountability. It includes serving one another. It includes encouraging one another. But if the most important thing that we share is Christ, then we must share Christ. Then we must help each other to behold and treasure Christ. So back home, the life group that Jill and I are a part of, the, over the last couple of years, we've devoted at least one meeting a year to doing this. Marty Machowski, who leads our, our community group, we call them community groups, our life group, he'll send out a, an email a couple of weeks before, and he'll say, uh, on our meeting uh, on Tuesday night, what I want you to do is to bring the passages or the quotes or the songs that have helped you recently to treasure Jesus. And then we just take an evening and we just go around the room, one by one. People sharing verses and quotes and songs, many times in tears, because they have helped them to treasure Jesus. It's a sweet moment of fellowship. It, it is exhorting one another every day in Christ. So if you're a life group leader, consider doing that sometime over the next several months, because the devoted help one another treasure Christ sixth thing that can help us behold and treasure number six sing songs sing songs to behold and treasure scripture is filled with songs there's several different kinds of songs in scripture songs of praise songs of deliverance songs of confession songs of celebration songs can be one of the ways our souls can gaze upon the glories of christ and stir our affections for Christ. So pay in in particular attention to those songs, or those parts of songs that just overwhelm you, that stir your affections for Jesus. Pay attention to those, and sing them often. So I want to share with you one of mine. One verse from one hymn, and to spare you, I'm not going to sing it. We sang this just, I believe, last night. A verse from Be Thou My Vision. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou, Jesus. Thou, My Inheritance. Now and always. Thou and Thou only. Only You, Jesus. Thou and Thou only. First in my heart. High King of Heaven, my treasure Thou art. I think of that verse often. I sing it often. Because it helps me love Jesus more. It helps me treasure Jesus. Now some of you are sitting here going through a very difficult time. Maybe you're in a present darkness. Jill and I, we've been through difficult times. We can relate. We don't necessarily want to sing these songs in those moments. It can be hard to do that, right? And so what I found is there's language. There's a verse from a song we sang last night at the end of the meeting. That really helps me. It's that song, Shine Into Our Night. that says this. Jesus Christ. Oh, Shine. Into our night. Drive our dark away. Dispel the darkness. Till your glory. Your glory. Not the darkness. Not the trouble. Not the trials. Till your glory. Fills my, our eyes. Jesus Christ. Shine into your night. Bind us to your cross. Where we find life. It's hard to sing in darkness. It's hard to sing in trial. But sing. Sing anyway, sing that, and Christ will meet you, He will dispel the darkness. My, my point is this: theologically rich songs can help you to behold and treasure Jesus. by the way I, I, was, I didn't have this in my notes, and um, I was praying this morning, and I felt the Lord wanted me to to add it for those who are going through darkness, to those who are going through real trial and tribulation you have an opportunity to treasure christ back in the states several years ago when we were going through the the real trials of sovereign grace god's used he's he's humbled us he's shown us weakness i think we're stronger because of it i don't want to go through it again but he used it and so i was asked often during that time mark where is god at work in your life at this present time what are you learning right now and this is what i would say This is how I responded to that. When when I was being falsely accused. When the family of churches I love was being falsely accused and misrepresented. In those moments, what rose up in my heart was a sense of justice. I wanted truth to be known. I I wanted justice to be done. And yet the Lord stopped me. And He convicted me and He caused me to consider there is one who's been far more falsely accused there is one who's been far more misrepresented and the lord would take me to the cross in that moment and remind me of those mocking voices that were saying the things about jesus that were completely untrue and in that moment jesus never sinned he never sinned that's not me but he didn't sin rather what did he say from that cross Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Some of the difficult moments in sovereign grace history caused me to treasure Jesus more. So do that. Use your trial. When you're being falsely accused, when you're being misrepresented by family members or friends, when a boss is treating you unfairly at work, oh, go to the cross and treasure Christ so that's my list they're obvious things aren't they question is are there any ways that you are neglecting the obvious let me close with this maybe you're aware of some of the ways that you're neglecting the obvious maybe you see where your busyness has distracted you from spending time with Christ maybe you're aware that you've become too familiar with Christ and so your ability to gaze and treasure Jesus isn't what it was at one time See, it's very important to me. It's very important to me that I not leave you with things to do. It's very important to me that I primar- primarily not leave you condemned because of things that you haven't done. What's important to me is to end our time together by leaving you with gospel hope. That's what's important to me. Remember this imperative here in verse 18, and all we all with unveiled face behold the glory of Christ. That imperative is is rooted in Gospel indicative found in chapter 3, verse 16. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed because the Lord has removed that veil. He's removed your veil so that you can see what He's accomplished for you at the cross of Jesus Christ. You can now draw near boldly. You can draw now here in hope. You can draw near, if you haven't done any things on my list, and be righteous in Christ's. And not receive any condemnation, but only love and acceptance and mercy and grace in this time of need. The gospel power that removed the veil from your eyes so that you could receive salvation is the same gospel power that's, in your work, that's at work in your life now so that you can see and you can behold and you can treasure. We know that because of chapter 4 verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, that's power, has shown in our hearts, has shown in your heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You will never again be blind and this light that is in you, this light will never go out because of what Christ has done for you. It's that kind of hope To help the devoted treasure Christ. Amen.